Hello and welcome to the MD DDS podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kyle Fagala, and we're continuing our series on Who is God tonight. Eric Gentry, preaching minister at Highland Church of Christ, will be joining us to give his lesson on God's imminence and omnipresence. So last week we talked about God's goodness and God's justice, two concepts that are certainly more familiar to us than uh, perhaps God's omnipresence or his imminence. It is a great lesson that I've heard before. Eric always does a wonderful job. We're lucky to have him here with us. So let's go and let's hear from Eric. All right. Okay, so let's see. If you jump in there on the notes, y'all have got the notes now? Okay, great. So this is, we're following this A.W. Tozer book. I, I'm assuming y'all been doing this for a couple weeks and he's, He's an impressive fellow, and uh, do you need anything? Okay. He's an impressive guy, and these chapters, as I was reviewing this, I taught this a while back at church, and I was reviewing it, and um, they're, they are deep, and I, I don't even know that I fully get it, even after reading it a couple times and even presenting it, but I'm going to do my best, and so if you don't get it, um, join the club, I guess. But I, I do, like, I'm, I'm getting at it. I don't know that I've fully got it, but I'm getting at it. And so I'll just kind of share with you what, I, what he's trying to say as far as I understand it. So the first in the blank there that you've got is really two, two blanks back to back there. Tonight we're talking about omnipresence, which is the first blank, and imminence, which I-M-M-A-N-E-N-C-E, imminence. I don't know if I'm saying that well enough. So omnipresence, the idea is that God is all-present, that he's close to, he's near to, he's surrounding everything. Eminence is kind of this a step beyond that, that God is penetrating all things. He is, he's, he's both around and within all things. And so the example that he gives, um, which is, I think is a really good example, he says is we, we either think about God as like the, um, if you were to take a bucket, and that God is filling the bucket. So if, we are, if we're kind of the bucket in that metaphor, that God is filling us with his Holy Spirit, and that's kind of our relationship to God, that he's kind of the inside of our bucket. He's the water in it. Or you might think of God as kind of the ocean that you are floating on in a boat. So he, he is around you, you're, you're nearby him, but you're not one with him. But what Tozer says is this really beautiful metaphor that the way that God is both around and within everything is like taking a bucket and submerging it a mile deep into the middle of the ocean so that, that the water is both surrounding and, and fully inhabiting that bucket, right? It's, you're just wrapped up in the presence of God. If you look at the back of your notes, I think there's two pages there in the back, and we've got some like a cheat sheet of the scriptures. It didn't include those. Oh, you didn't include those? Okay. No. I did add some <clears throat> of the scriptures, but some of them I did not. So like Jeremiah, that's not a big deal. Jeremiah, I'll just read it to you. Jeremiah 23, 24 says, Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? So am I, am I only near and not also far? Who can hide in secret places so that I can't see them, declares the Lord? Do not do I not I fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? And then there's another great passage in 2 Chronicles 6. But who is able to build a temple for him since the heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain him? Um, so this is... A, we're going to kind of circle back to this, I hope, at the end of the class. But the essence of what he's saying here is that we are always 
we let me say that again we all we are all always in God we're in God I don't, I don't know if that's one of the blanks no that we're in God that's like a really profound truth to sit with for a second and so profound it's hard for me to get it out of my mouth as you can tell but it's something to sit with particularly as it relates I think to prayer and that's that's where I ultimately want to end up but if if what Tozer's saying is true, and what I think these passages and others that we'll look at are saying is true, that we are we all are always in God, then that does change what's happening when we pray. At least it's not changing what's happening, it's changing how we might think about what's happening when we pray. That is, are we like reaching out to some God who's distant and kind of spanning um, that distance with kind of like a cell phone call or a, a telephone, a game of telephone with that God? Or is prayer more about God making us aware of His nearness, and His His presence around us? So we'll kind of come back to that. Acts seventeen twenty eight. You do have this one in front of you. I think reaffirms that. Somebody want to read that? I don't have to read them all. For in Him we live and move and have our beings, as even some of your own poets have said. For we are indeed His offspring. That's like one of the more beautiful passages in Scripture in Him we live and move and have our being. But that's what Tozer's referencing here. So if that's the case, and this goes back to what we were talking about with prayer, why do we pray without a sense of the nearness of God, do you think? Why does God feel far away? So you could like read on here, and so you might do that. But if you just think about that without reading on, why is it that God feels so far away when we pray? I think the point of this series is that we don't know him, I think is why he feels far away or I don't mean to alien or, you know. Yeah. I think that's part of it for me. Yep. Yeah, the, what's the title of the book? The character, what's it called? The character of God? The character traits of God. Attributes of God, that's right. Yeah. Which was actually a series of sermons, right? I think sure. they collected. But yeah, I think that's true. So. The thing there being like Tozer is going to help us know who God is, and so that in knowing Him, we might feel closer to Him. Why else do you think He feels far? Sometimes our uh, problems feel small, um, mm. menial, uh, and kind of feel bad asking God for them. Right. Like a splinter in your toe or something. Yeah. Right. Which feels significant at the time, though. <laughs> But yeah. I never said that wasn't a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> I did pray. It was your love. Yeah. yeah. I scratched my eye last week, and we have an eye doctor at church. And I reached out to him. I was like, is there a magic potion to put in this eye? And he said, you need uh, fake tears, whatever they're called, uh, artificial tears, time, preferably 24 hours, and prayer, preferably every 10 minutes. He said, <laughs> I was like, yep, that's how I feel. It was awful. Do you remember when I first moved here and I scratched my eye at that retreat? Yep. You remember that? It was, it was the first time since six years ago. I scratched it really bad. <coughs> Super embarrassing. All right. So what he says is, y'all, some of y'all don't remember that. You were here again. But I scratched my eye really bad at this youth, or this young adult gathering. It stunk. All right. So 
What he says, the reason that God feels far away is that we are alienated from God, and we are alienated from God by sin, essentially. And he he has this three-word phrase that makes a lot of sense. Remoteness means dissimilarity. So God feels remote because we're dissimilar to him. We're dissimilar to him in our nature. Our nature is different than God's nature. Uh, we're sh- we're sh- so we're shut off from God, not because he's spatially far away. He fills the bucket that's submerged in the ocean. So he, he's not, he is as nearby as he could possibly be. But because, because God's dissimilar in nature to us. That is, and this is that 3A, I'm not going to just read everything, but this is a good point. God made humans in his image. You know, read about that in Genesis, that we were made in the image of God. But we sin, and so we become unlike God, and so something happens to our nature so that our nature is not holy in the way that God's nature is holy. By holy, we mean unvarnished with sin, set apart, and different. Suddenly, we're, we're the ones that are different and not in a good way from that. So uh, alienation is the biblical word for that. And do, do we have, let's see, are these texts in there? Or do I need to read we those? The, the references, but not the yeah, okay. So like Ephesians 2, just, I don't know if anybody has their Bible or their phone and wants to look up one of these. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, and somebody else, Ephesians 4, 17 to 19. Uh, Ephesians 2, what, what was it? 1 to 4. Okay. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even Maybe yeah, finish that even verse off. Even we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved. Yeah, there you go. Somebody else got Ephesians four seventeen and nineteen. Okay. So I tell you this: insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as your child do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality as indulged in every kind of improvement and they are full of grief. Yeah, this is this is not in your notes, but I was thinking about this today as I was working through this, and um, I think Romans five and six. If you were going to kind of do some personal Bible study on this on your own time, I think Romans five and six would be the place to go. And I think Romans five and six is probably the best study in what is happening to humanity as a result of the power of sin, and. As follows, what's happening to humanity as a result of the power of God's righteousness is expressed in Jesus Christ. And like, if you look at Romans six, you know, or, or Romans five and six, you got what what you really see is kind of two realms that are ex- coexisting on Earth or existing side by side, but not overlapping. You've got this one realm where he's talking about Adam. And he talks about the judgment that Adam's receiving because of and the Adam's descendants are receiving, the one sin that Adam committed, the condemnation that all of us who follow in Adam's line are receiving. And then in this other realm, you've got the gift that covers many sins and justification, right? You have these 
different things going on. You've got Adam's trespass, death reigned, Christ's grace and righteousness, and he reigns in life. You've got uh, one trespass, which means the condemnation for all. You've got one act of righteousness, which, which means justification and life for all. And if you were to boil those things down, I think what he's saying is that sin is a, is a power to which we are enslaved. It's not just doing bad things. It's a power, a force in the world that's got control over us. But those who've been redeemed by the power of Jesus Christ, given their life to him, are under a different power, and that power is the power of righteousness. So, it's, so righteousness just isn't acting right. It is this power that is, that is opposing the forces of evil in the world and is acting upon you. So you want to kind of put yourself in the way of that power as it's bearing down God's righteousnesses. And so, kind of if you back up there and, and we go back to Tozer, as he's talking about our nature, what's, what's really at, at issue here is our enslavement, right, I picked up the wrong one, enslavement to sin versus our enslavement to righteousness. That those of us who are still enslaved to sin have a nature because of that enslavement that is different than somebody who's enslaved to righteousness. In the same way that a slave and a free person are different. Okay, uh, let me give a, another example that he gives. He says that two men could be, or two women, could be traveling alongside each other on a bus, and, um, but they both speak different languages. And so even though they're spatially close, like Michelle and I are spatially close, if she spoke you know, Chinese, we're not going to be able to communicate well. Um, we're not going to have fellowship, any kind of meaningful fellowship, right? I mean, that makes sense. Um, you know, you could, you could take it a step further and say you can pet a dog. You've got this famous dog. <laughs> you can pet your famous dog, right? But you're not going to have communion with your, your famous dog. And I, I do think dogs are, like, special <laughs> compared to cats and other, other things. There's a guy, a theologian that I, I follow. He just wrote a book called The Grace of Dogs. It's about dogs. I want to read it. I haven't read it yet. Um... <laughs> It all starts because they have to put down a dog, and it's like this powerful experience. Okay, but anyways. That's where the important theological debates are happening. That's right, right now. <laughs> you know they've run out of things to talk about. They're like, let's talk about dogs. Uh, but to the point, a, a dog has a different nature than we do. You know, we can't commune with the dog in the way that we can commune with each other. I was trying to think of a recent example of this, and you got that example there under seven. You know the, the Pope? recently visited Myanmar. Did you follow this? And um, so there's this massive, what might be genocide. In fact, recent reports this week indi indicate that they're using chemical weapons, which puts it in the category of genocide because it's premeditated and not mass murder. And um, against a people group called the Rohingya. You follow this. You've, you've seen this. And the Pope, who's you know, got tremendous influence in the world, went to Myanmar to visit but was advised not to say the term Rohingya because it's offensive in, in Myanmar and there's a lot of debate about whether you should say that or not, whether it's a legitimate title, basically. And so I, I was just struck by that because I was thinking, you know, like he's come so far, he's traveled all the way to Myanmar from Rome. So he's like close to these people he's never close to otherwise. And yet he won't utter the, the one word that's kind of like hanging in the space between them. And, and if, if that word's not spoken, like how are they ever going to actually get to the meat of the problem if he, can't, if he can't speak that word? And then like this week they've uncovered more mass graves, so it would seem, you know, no progress was made on that. 
I don't know if that's a great example. Sure. Y'all might have other examples of that. So what he says is it's our enslavement to sin. It's the sin in our life that is then. So it's driving us away from God. It's creating the wedge between us and God. And so you see this with Adam in the garden because he flees. And Eve, they flee as soon as they've got sin. Ultimately, they're ashamed of it. And so it, what's happening, you know, like practically they realize they're naked and they're hiding and stuff. But something metaphorical is happening there too, that their sin is like driving them away from this holy God that inhabits the garden with them. That was the great thing about Eden is that God just walks among them. He's never far away. You just like walking and talking, holding hands with God and naming zebras and stuff. So that's lost, right? And they hide. Uh, I mean, another example is Jonah, who's trying to flee from God's presence. And, you know, which every kid loves. That's where we're reading it every night right now. Our Bible has Jonah's a yellow fish, a big yellow fish, which I find interesting. Maybe he was yellow. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> they're loving that one. But. You know, Jonah's fleeing from God, and what he finds out is he can't get away from God. It's, just, it's causing him to flee. And Peter, <clears throat> in Luke 5, you'll have this one in front of you, I think. He says, go away from me, Lord. Why? Sinful man. So it's his nature. It's like this realization of how bad he is beneath the light of Christ. Uh, that that light is exposing this parts of his nature that he can't bear to have under the light, so he just wants to hide and crawl into the dark. Uh, like Stranger Things, did y'all watch Stranger Things? Like how the Demogorgon didn't like heat and light, so it's like that, just like that. <laughs> I do think Stranger Things is a powerful metaphor for what's going on in the spiritual realm, so we can come back to that some other time. All right, the presence of God. <laughs> this is what this is a quote from Tozer. The presence of God is the bliss of moral creatures. So the presence of God is heaven, and the absence of God is torment. But the trick there is God's never actually absent; it's His perceived absence. So it's our sin that's creating our torment, and this is why hell begins to make sense. It's not. Well, we'll think through that. Okay. He makes this point. We'll come back to that. We'll come back to hell. He's, he makes this point, the entertainment. And it's really fascinating because Tozer's writing, like, what, 60 years ago, something like that, I think. And he makes this point about how entertainment is a diversion from our alienation from God. That basically we can't bear the shame of having a nature that's so different from God, so we distract ourselves from that with entertainment. And if you ultimately, what he's saying, if you kind of take that logically all the way, is that if if you could kind of fully stand beneath the light of God within the presence of God, you, you'd have no need for entertainment because it would be total bliss. So, what do you think about that? Do you think that's true? You think entertainment's a distraction from our shame of our alienation? What do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that entertainment distraction is just to keep us from thinking about more substantial matters. I mean, in part, you know, I mean, it's, it's to give it kind of temporary joy that only lasts so long, you know. And I love entertainment. I mean, everybody does. But yeah. we are you know, firmly in an entertainment culture, and it is to distract from things that matter. And so yeah. people, you were talking about staring off into the sky and looking at the stars and what questions that evokes from someone. 
we don't have the opportunity. Yeah. So we're. I think you even said this yesterday. Is if your head is down, you can't see anything above. Mm. And that was said in a different way, but yeah. it's similar. Yeah, absolutely. You know. Yeah. What else? What do y'all think? I definitely think about the times whenever, like, you're silent or you're alone and you're far away from God. Like, those are probably some of the worst moments that I can remember. It's just like how, like, dark that feels. I think, like, anytime I talk to people that are not Christians, like, they really hate like silence and loneliness. Mm. And I think that really embodies this. That mm. you know, they have, they can't. We really can't endure how alien. That's right. That's a good point. Yeah. I think too, it's like you don't even know that that's why you feel that way. It's mm-hmm. just that like you're you can't stand like yourself. You almost just more so are like, oh, I'm so disgusted with like the fact that I can't that I feel like such a slave to the power of sin in my life. Like that I feel like I can't keep myself from like losing my patience with my kids or like it's it, but then when it, you're quiet you just like feel this like shame and mm-hmm. I guess I don't in those moments like um, acknowledge that it's shame because I felt alienated from God I'm just so like disgusted with myself yep you like those are the moments you're most likely to be like pick up your phone right because <laughs> well, you just, just don't want to reckon with yeah, that yeah. right <clears throat> But I think most people don't get to a point where they, they really recognize that. And I think I hear, like, you know, if you ever, like, listen to Addicts talk or there's a musician really like named Bill Morrison. He, he's a Christian, like, you know, musician now. But there was a period where he hit, like, a rock bottom and he wanted to kill himself. And hmm. he kind of talks about that, this kind of concept of hmm. how it, it made him aware of how sinful he was and how separated he was, all these kind of things. Huh. And I think it's only in something like that you really, like, fully say to yourself, like, I'm trying to cover up this with all these sins and distractions and, and you have to, to then decide, well, am I going to keep doing that or am I going to go somewhere else? Yeah, yeah. And most of us are sort of in this kind of in-between, like we use entertainment and other things to distract ourselves so we never have to ask these questions because we haven't hit rock bottom and we perceive ourselves to be good and fine and I think it's a real popular thing. It's only when we really crash the car that we start to think, maybe I've got a problem. Yep, yep. I think, you know, like, I, I grew up in church, and I, I would say, like, one of my complaints growing up was it felt like Christianity was just so moralistic, you know, like, dude, basically don't mess around with girls, and don't drink, and don't look at porn. Right? Like, that was kind of the essence of the thing. <clears throat> I think there's a lot more to that, but I, I, I do, like, Tozer does help to frame that in a different way, or at least a more powerful way that... Um, those things in your life like are the root of your distance from god like it's a it's a corruption of your nature i i do there's something to that i don't think the solution to that is willpower and just willing yourselves to overcome those things i think the solution is grace and maybe that was missing from some of that but it does frame it at least in a different way Okay, so if you go back to that statement in number eight, the, the presence of God is the bliss of moral creatures, or it's heaven, basically, and its absence is torment. <clears throat> He's saying that this, you know, this is kind of an interesting way of thinking about it. He doesn't, he doesn't go into the 
the physics of this or the geography of this, but ultimately what he's saying is that, he's not exactly saying this, but I'll t kind of take it a step further. Hell doesn't have to be like a place that exists somewhere. It's not like a, a space necessarily that God designed for eternal torment. Like you kind of you kind of like set up these. I'm gonna put these volcanoes right here, and you know these hot, you know, lava is gonna flow right here and stuff, and these fires are gonna always keep burning. That basically hell would be hell without all that stuff or without any kind of geographic space, because it's the absence of God. That that's what hell is: is the absence of God. And but okay, but you stop and say, well, God's not absent anywhere. He's like the the ocean that you're submerged in, so he's everywhere. And so what Tozer's saying is that, that hell is, is rejecting God's love, essentially. Resisting the presence of God that is not far away, that is so close. So you can experience hell right here and right now by resisting God's presence that's right there. And the, the um, let me see here. Okay, yeah, so C.S. Lewis kind of talks about this. He calls hell the self-exile of the soul from the love of God. I think y'all have this quote, 3A. I don't think we do, actually. But you don't have that quote? Sorry. All right. So I cut quite a bit out. Okay, that's great. Tell me if I say y'all have this and you don't. It's right there, 3-3. C.S. Lewis on hell. We don't have the quote that he's about to read. Okay, here's the quote. I willingly, this is C.S. Lewis, I willingly believe that the damned are, in one sense successful rebels to the end that the doors of hell are locked on the inside i do not mean that the ghost may not wish to come out of hell in the vague fashion wherein an envious man wishes to be happy but they certainly do not will even the first preliminary stages of the self-abandonment through which alone the soul can reach any good they enjoy forever the horrible freedom they have demanded okay so the freedom being from god you know, I'm, I'm going to be my own person. I'm going to resist God. I don't need God. They, so they enjoy forever that horrible freedom that they've demanded and are therefore self-enslaved just as the blessed forever submitting to obedience become through all eternity more and more free. Nobody says it better than him. It's pretty good. Except for Jesus. <laughs> Brian Zond he wrote this book called Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God, which is a really good book. I'd recommend it. I'm still thinking through it. It's really good. But he says, in short, you, do you have this 4A? Do you all have this? Mm -hmm. Hell is the love of God refused. That's what hell is. And so the example that he gives is if you have this um, enemy, refresh myself on this example. All right. So, and I gave this example in college. Uh, Lindsay and I both came to college dating other people. Both those things didn't work out as often happens when you come to college dating somebody else. Any of you married your high school sweetheart? <laughs> happy for y'all. It's worked out, clearly. Had a couple babies and such. Uh, but fortunately for Lindsay, hers didn't work out. And uh, also fortunately for me, mine didn't work out. We found each other. And, uh, but... That guy was kind of like the classic ex-boyfriend that cannot stand for his girlfriend to, to move on. And um, I hope he's listening to this podcast somewhere. <laughs> I'm sure he is. To his credit, he reached out to me a couple years ago and apologized for some of what he did, which was really neat. 
And uh, but I'm I'm still gonna so I'm not gonna tell you his name, but uh, but he did all these terrible things. Like he would take airsoft BBs, and I went to ACU, and it was, so it was a small school, so my my car stood out because it was kind of lousy. And he would take airsoft BBs and put them in the cap of the uh, air nozzle on the car, and screw it in, and so that BB would press down the pin, and all four of my tires would deflate. I mean, it's better than getting your tires slashed. Credit to him. But you you can't drive somewhere to get air, so you got to go get like a portable air tank and come fill up one at a time. Because that's all you need. as a college kid, you buy the cheapest air tank you can. And anyway, so he was he was lousy, and um, so he I would have considered him an enemy in college. <laughs> Had an enemy in him for sure. And um, so, if as you imagine this enemy, if if they were to. Um, you know, like you're not gonna want to be around that enemy. You're just, you're just not gonna want to do it. You're gonna try to resist them at all costs. But if, for instance, like I had come upon upon hard times in college, and he had been the guy that reached out to me and invited me into his house, and he started to like, hey man, let's let bygones be bygones. Let me cook you some food. Like you can sleep here and stay over here. The thing was, if I if I was insistent on resisting that love, then it would have been torturous to be there because I hated him. And this is what you know. Jesus has to say about loving your enemies that you're going to heap coals on their head, these burning coals on their head. That that's what he would have been doing to me if he. Now he didn't do that because he wasn't that good of a guy. But you know, like that's that's what would have happened, right? His love, it shown to me, as somebody who's my enemy, would have felt hellish. And that's what Jesus is saying. And so that that's a really powerful way of thinking about hell as somebody who's just resisting the kind, compassionate, loving presence of God to the end, just refusing it to the end which is you know a powerful thought so, so that blank about it is the blank that makes heaven heaven is it the presence of god is that right let's see i'm up above point two uh sorry yes it's the presence of god that makes heaven heaven sorry i skipped right over that yeah the presence of god that makes heaven heaven 2a Any thoughts on that? Have any enemies? Yeah. We're not getting into it tonight, but what what hell is what heaven is are such interesting conversations. Um, can we talk about this in Bridge Builders? About like I think maybe Grant talked about it. You know, like will sinners go to hell? You know, it's like a tough question. Yeah. I think popularly, like it's being answered now with no. You know. Um, and then Grant looked at like all the different ideas of what hell was, and I think he went into it thinking it was kind of this annihilation concept where it's easiest, I think, for us to think like, well, when someone goes to hell, they're annihilated, so they just don't exist. They cease to exist. But really, when you kind of look at the scripture, oh, that's probably not the case. So maybe it's not a literal, like, you can't both have a dark place and be burning. You know, I mean, there's some of these, like, literal questions of, like, well, how was there a day before there was a sun? You know, and all that kind of sure. sort, of, sort of stuff. So there's definitely some figures in there, but it's a place of torment. And it's mostly, though, not about, like, fire, yeah. you know, burning flesh. It's about God yeah. not being there. But. Yeah, I remember um, David had me read David Platt's book, Radical. Platt, not Platt, which is a good book. And uh, he's got a whole chapter on, like, our motivation for mission being ultimately hell. Like, there's a lot of people who are damned if they don't accept Jesus. I think that's true. I also think 
though there's 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 kind of like a like a step back to say that this explains the experience of those who in this life are not giving themselves to Jesus are not kind of accepting the presence of God that the turmoil they're experiencing is is hell and so it motivates you to, to, to not save them for their, you know, for after they die, but so that their experience in this life might be bliss. And not in the sense that life won't be hard, but in the sense that they're receptive to the, in the sense that they're receptive to the presence of God. And that's the best possible thing. That brings us back to prayer. So how do you become attentive to the presence of God? Or how does, how does God allow you to become attentive to his presence? I think, I think that, the magic key there is prayer. That's what it is. Um, how are we doing here? <clears throat> okay. So number four, y'all got four on there: reconciliation, regeneration. All right. So what we, so what you need there, and this is kind of like classic. Um, like if you can imagine a battlefield, you've got these two armies on two sides, what you need is like a delegate to go across and create reconciliation is what you need. It's like, I'm thinking of, for some reason, I'm thinking of Lord of the Rings, like orcs and elves, like somebody's got to work that out, is what's coming to mind. So he says, so 2 Corinthians 5.19 is a really good text there. I don't know if y'all have that in front of you. You do have that? Somebody read that. Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trans- trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Yeah, so what he's saying there is that that God is reconciling those whose natures are different than his back to him. And he's also giving us that same job, which is a curious and an interesting thing to think about. So God, so he's, he, he talks for a while about reconcil- reconciliation then could only happen by one who's both God and man, who has both those natures. That, it's one of those topics that, like we could spend a whole other night on that, so I'm going to kind of, I'm going to pass that, but you might give that some thought or read Tozer's chapter on that. But to get to the end, I, I need to pass that. So if the problem is sin, God could have compromised on that. He could have come halfway, but Tozer says, I'd rather go to hell than go to a heaven presided over by a God who would compromise with sin. And for those of us who, you know, like talk back to our mom a couple times or like had one too many drinks on Saturday or whatever the case may be, we're like, well, God, you could just kind of compromise on those sins. That's not a big deal. But, but as you think about like those who've experienced the effects of ghastly sin, you know, like, like genocide, like we're talking about in Myanmar, then you start talking about demanding justice. Like, God, you got to do something about that. And so if you think in that term, what, what they're experiencing in Myanmar is just a, to a lesser degree what we experience when we're tempted to do something we shouldn't do. It's the power of sin bearing down and leveraging its, its influence on the world. And so we don't want God to just, like, strike a deal with sin. That would be unsatisfying. Tozer says, I'd rather go to hell than go to a heaven where that God's in charge, who, who strikes a deal with sin. 
And he, he gives the example of the prodigal son, uh, which is the story you all know about the young man who takes uh, his inheritance before he's, it's due him, and he spends it all and wants to come back home. And he makes the point that, that God's like, okay, you know, take the inheritance, go do your thing, but I'm going to stay here as a father. I'm not going anywhere. This is where I'll be when you're ready to come back, but I'm not going to go looking for you out there. And, um, and so when the son comes running back, the, the father stays home. Now, maybe he runs down the road a ways to meet him, but he, he's not like going off to the distant lands that the son goes off to. And so uh, we don't want God to compromise. We don't want God to wink at our iniquity, he says. We want God to do something about it, which I think is true. Side note there, we talked about this a little bit on Sunday. Uh, you don't want God to wink at your iniquity when you realize how deep your iniquity goes. When it feels surface level, you're okay with him kind of winking at it. But when you realize that it's consuming, then you you need to be liberated from that. You don't want God to wink at it. You want him to do something about it. So how do you figure out how deep it goes? Prayer. That's it. So reconciliation is when God, this is a really interesting thought about reconciliation. You have different images for reconciliation. Like in Ephesians 2, you have the dividing wall of hostility, which is a, uh, a wall separating Jews and Greeks in this case. And what he says is the blood of Christ destroys the dividing wall of hostility and brings those people together, which is a cool image too. The image that Tozer offers is that what happens when we're reconciled to God is that God takes a piece of himself and plants it inside of us. Since God's already inside of us, it's easy for God to do that. So you, like 2 Peter 1, 4, by which he has granted us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers, partakers of the divine nature. This is kind of where the whole topic is coming from when he's talking about nature. So you don't have God's nature until he gives it to you and it begins to grow in you. In the Eastern Orthodox Church, anybody spent much time Eastern Orthodox folks? Anna has. Anna has. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. They call this theosis. And the idea, what it basically means, it's kind of a complicated Greek word for sanctification. That means we're becoming like God. But that's kind of the goal, is that the, the nature of God grows and grows and grows and grows in you. Your holiness increases and increases. And it's not like you're, how good you are increases. It's that your likeness to God increases. And there's a difference between those two things. How does it increase? Prayer. Prayer. <laughs> <laughs> the magic. So then the nature of God and the nature of the sinner are no longer dissimilar. So we awake like Jacob who sees the, the ladder going up to heaven with the angels descending and ascending on this ladder and he says the ladder's been there the whole time he just didn't see it he says surely the Lord's in this place and I was not aware of it that's a powerful image to think about like that kind of ladder being in the middle of this room and not being able to, to see it because it's kind of like stranger things if you were to go back to stranger things has everybody seen stranger things y'all haven't they didn't make a book. Have you seen it? Yeah. They only read things. They only read. <laughs> Y'all are awesome. So, but, you know, and if you, 
you know, if you had true sight, is that what they call it in the second season? Like you could see it. That there, there's things that are there, evil and good, but they're that close. And if we could see the angels descending and ascending in the middle of this assemblage of people, I mean, that would be really cool. Uh, so the joy of conversion, number four, six, right there. What's happening in conversion is that God's not coming from some distant star, but God is becoming known to somebody because their nature is being changed. Like That's why when somebody comes out of the water and, and hugs you, that's, that's why, because suddenly it's not that God who is distant is now close. It's that they can recognize how close he is when they couldn't beforehand. Any questions on that? I mean, I can stop here. You want Okay, well, let me make a couple quick points there. So atonement, um, there's different ways to think about atonement. When we're talking about atonement, we're talking about what happens on the cross, primarily also the life of Jesus and the resurrection, but how God's dealing with our sin. But atonement is something that God is doing outside of us for us. All right. Justification, where we are becoming, that's the, the righteousness of God bearing down on us. It's us becoming righteous, okay, like God. It's made possible because He has dealt with our sins. That is, He has atoned us so He can justify us. He can declare us in right standing with God. But again, we're being declared in right standing, which is to say, that's like a courtroom verdict. You know, like, so it's something that's happening again to you or for you, outside of you. But regeneration is what's happening inside of us. It's taking place at the same time as justification. So the minute you, you come out of water after giving your life to Jesus in baptism, but it's happening internally. It's when a person receives this new nature. And because of that, because they have a new nature, because they're now different on the inside, they can have a different relationship to the God who is present and imminent. That's possible now. He's, he gives the example, it's like a newborn baby in the hospital that the moment you come out of that water, it's like Jesus looks at you and can tell by your features in that, you know, waiting room where all the babies are. What's that called? Whatever, I've been there before. Nursery. nursery. <laughs> <laughs> is, is there not more official term than that? Just nursery? Okay. Yeah, the t- it is like that too. Um, the guy can look at you, and now he he recognizes you because you're, you're his. Because you've got, you know, my sons all come out with this cowlick right here. And it's like, well, that's a gentry boy. Those those genes are strong. But that's what it's like. It's like suddenly you've got the cowlick, and he's like, okay, I can work with that. And you haven't grown into what you're fully going to become, but he can work with that. Okay. So the conclusion is, is why do we continue to feel God's distance? And the answer there is because, like Paul says in Romans 7, that sin still tries to get us to do what we don't want to do. You know, we're combating that nature inside of us. I do the things I don't want to do. So it's still there. It's still present. He says, who can save me from this body of sin? Thanks be to the Lord. And so that, that's part of the issue. And... He gives, he gives the example of it's like an artist who were to paint a picture 
I don't know, the Mona Lisa or something like that. And uh, it starts with an outline. And so what you might think is that at your baptism, when you give yourself to Jesus, it's like you've been outlined. But over the, next, over the rest of your life, he's going to be filling that in. That's what, we, that's what we would call sanctification, which is happening after regeneration. It's becoming like God increasingly. So if regeneration is becoming like God in part, sanctification is becoming like God increasingly. In the Orthodox Church, they would say in whole, becoming like God completely. Not like the Mormons who like get their own planet and stuff. It's not like that. But. Yeah. We would say that doesn't happen so glorification, right? Right. Yeah, be like right. Yeah. Yep. Um, he has this slide. He's, he says, How can he continually manifest his presence to the proud and the arrogant when he is when he, Jesus, is so humble and low? How can he manifest his presence to the lukewarm and the careless when he is so zealous? To the hard and the vengeful when he is so forgiving? To the harsh and severe when he's so kind? To the calculating when his love has led him to die? When we are so stained, how can we have fellowship with him? Um, okay, so... Uh, <clears throat> I, th- I think the takeaway from this is not it's not like fix yourself, get it all worked out. That's not the takeaway. I, I don't think that's what Tozer is getting at at all. In fact, I think he would recoil if we, if we said that's the takeaway. I think the takeaway is this is why God's grace matters so much because the all-consuming power of God is so close that the, and the bliss of that is so near but were it not for God's grace, our natures wouldn't would be incompatible with that presence. And so it's like a it's a moment to like celebrate and give thanks to God. That because of what Jesus does for us, we're becoming like God. You know, our natures are being transformed. And I also think maybe the the practical takeaway is it's a an invitation to self-examination. So where are the areas in my life that are, that are not, um, that I'm not willing to put under that microscope, that I don't want to expose to the light of God's holiness and God's presence? Where are those areas? And if I feel like I don't want to expose them, those are the very things that need to be exposed. If I have resistance to exposing them, those are the things about my nature that are limiting me from an even greater experience of God's bliss. So, how, how do you do self-examination? Prayer. prayer. Yeah, it's a prayer. It's a prayer. I guess, do you have, like, tips on that? Like, I mean, I, you answer me. Of course. Um, like, pray. No, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, tips on how to do that in prayer. I mean, like, yeah. Like, you know what I'm trying to get? Yeah. Um, like, I... Yeah. I feel like as a kid, I prayed more. Like I, th- I think like yeah. every night ended in a prayer. And yeah, yeah. So there's there's a lot of people who are are much 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 better at it than me, and who've written about it and um, places I could refer you to. A simple practice would be what's called examine. Have you ever heard of that? Examine. And examine is an exercise that you do. You can do it several times a day. Uh, 
a lot of people find it's best to do at night, kind of before they go to bed. At night, I, I'm sleepy, so the morning's better for me, like when I have some coffee in me. But an examine's a form of prayer where ultimately what you're doing is not talking to God, but asking yourself questions and trying to answer them in the presence of God. And typically the questions are something about when yesterday or when today was I aware, attentive, listening to God? When was I not? And you just kind of run through your day. Like, when did I observe God? When did I not? And um, you can also, so one of the things I've done, like, so I'm thinking about my own self is, is asking different kind of questions, like, what emotions did I feel today? Uh, what did I not feel today? Why? And I, that's been really good for me to think about. If God is indwelling within me, then my experience of those emotions is, is related to that God in whom those emotions reside. And so why did I feel, why did I get angry when Noble, you know, kicked his muddy feet on me? You'll see the mud right there, right before I walked here. Like, why did that make me angry? <laughs> uh, you know, why, why did I, why was I short with Lindsay about this? Why did this thing at work make me respond this way? Why did this bring me joy? Why is that? And so there's, there, if, you, if you were a search examine online, it would give you examples of questions you could ask yourself. What most prayer experts would say, the people who've like gone to the desert and prayed a long time, is that there's, there's kind of two kinds of prayer. There's, and there's complicated words for this, but it boils down to two things. There's, word, there's wordy, wordy pray, prayers, prayers with words, and there's wordless prayer. And that you move from worded prayer to wordless. And so you start with something like the exercise, like examine the Jesus prayer, praying the Psalms, uh, praying the prayers of Jesus. And ultimately when those kind of become part of you, you get to this point where you don't, you don't even have to vocalize them. They're just kind of who you are. And that takes you into this place where God begins to reveal things to you about yourself. Which would make sense that God would do the revealing when we start talking. Right? Because how do you learn things? You listen. You shut up and you listen. So that, that makes sense. Any other questions? Just a tough topic. If, if all the answers from tonight were prayer, we don't seem to understand it so well. Because I don't right. think public prayer is like and that's like what we're most familiar with, you know? Yeah, that's true. So like we'll pray for the kids or pray at dinner. Yeah. And the kids' prayers at dinner are basically just like looking around the table and naming everyone, yeah. you know? Yeah, So. And I, I think that's a, you know, that's an introduction to something deeper. And like um, intercessory prayer, like praying for somebody. Um, a guy who's influenced my understanding of prayer a lot. Uh-huh. And he's part of this he's teaching this group of ministers how to pray ultimately and somebody was asking him he's like well do you still pray for people and he smiled really big and he said yeah so what i do is i write a name of you know people ask me to pray for them or, or if i know if somebody's going through something i'll write their name on a card and he prays while he walks a lot he goes walking and puts headphones on but doesn't listen to anything just so people don't talk to him he's walking around acu's campus and uh, he, the string just goes into his pocket and um, but he says what he does is he just worries about that person before God until he stops worrying about him and then he moves on 
like it's like you know once god kind of moves in him to where he feels like i can turn this over to you god i don't have to worry about it anymore that's intercessory prayer for him you know just worries about it before god and then when he stops he moves on interesting thought but i i do think like public prayer and stuff certainly has its place but yeah well oh i'll i'll end with this he gives somebody i don't remember if it was tozer or somebody else where i found this this story of horace bushnell who was set on a hillside talking about god with friends until sunset and before they left he said that they should pray and as he lifted up his heart to god he has this this just magnificent overbearing feeling that God is all around him and he said so he says I pulled my arms tight around me I was afraid to reach out to him lest I touch God which is like a really powerful image on the hillside like just suddenly aware of how close God is I think yeah you can probably speak to experiences of that I have a friend who just uh, had a 22 week uh, stillbirth sad tough 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 and um and he said it felt like his legs got knocked out from under him. He was just going to keep falling. He said it felt like that for a while, and then he got caught by something. And he said, I, I think that was faith. <laughs> like, that's what it was. Like, all of a sudden, when he thought nobody was there, God turned up. And so he's like, all right. That's been a really powerful experience for him. So I want to thank Eric for joining us tonight. He took uh, the night away from his family to come and speak with us. He actually preached this uh, past Sunday, so just a day ago. Um, and so I know he's probably worn out <laughs> from all the talking there. Uh, but man, we really appreciate him, the relationship uh, with Eric, and just the knowledge that he brings to a topic like this. And man, this is a deep talk topic. There's a lot that could be said, and, and hopefully there's a lot that, uh, that you're thinking about uh, with something like this. We're going to be back next week. David is going to be teaching us on, I believe, grace and mercy. So we have two more lessons remaining. We have grace and mercy, and then I'll actually be wrapping things up the last week. Um, so that will be good. Look forward to that. Um, and that's it. All right, that's all I got for tonight. If you're out there listening, if you made it to the very end of this podcast, congratulations. Um, if you ever need anything, reach out to us. There is an MDDDS private forum. There's also a public page, and of course you can find me, Kyle Fagala, on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatever, and reach out to me. would love to have a dialogue. I'd um, love to see you in person. If you want to go catch lunch, talk about some of these issues, if you want to join us Monday nights, we're here practically every Monday night, 7 o'clock, occasionally we'll be 6 o'clock for dinner. We'd love to have you join us and be a part of this, and uh, it's really better, of course, in person. If you're struggling this, this week with anything, message me. I'd love to pray for you and again talk through those things and just a prayer for you uh, across this podcast for whatever it is that you're dealing with, whatever it is that's that's you know giving you torment, let's say. Um, I pray for bliss for you. I pray for uh, the presence of God in your life. Um, and so that's it for this week. We will see you next week. Have a wonderful and blessed week. See you soon.